Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week, we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Also, keep your eyes and ears open for a new podcast we're launching on Monday, December 4th, the Creative Thinking Podcast with Kim Thomas. It'll begin with three weeks focusing on the Advent season. You can subscribe now in your favorite podcast app. Now for this week, here's Pastor Jim. From time to time, people ask the question, why can't religion be more inclusive? And I would argue that the Christian gospel is the most inclusive religious belief system in the entire world world. One of the illustrations of why I think that's true is what we find in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. So I'm going to read that and then make a couple of comments afterwards and see if you don't agree with me on this, okay? From there, he, or there, by the way, means uh, where Jesus was when he had just have this big discussion on uh, the traditions of men and that he, he kind of made the point that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart and that we studied in the uh, previous episode to this one. But from there, he, Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre. That would be north and west of the Galilee area. And this is off to the coast, and it's outside of Israeli or Jewish territory. It's up in uh, Phoenician territory at this particular time, what we today would call Lebanon. And so he goes up into that area, and what we're told there is that he entered a house and he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice, Mark tells us. After hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. This is fascinating that this would happen to Jesus. He's leaving the Galilee seemingly to get away from the thousands and thousands of people that have been pressing in on him. We've seen that before as we've studied through Mark's gospel. The crowds are massive at this point. Um, he's feeding five, ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 people with five loaves and, and, and two fishes. He's He's got people coming at him that are sick, that are demon-possessed, that just uh, that are lame, that are blind, that, all kinds of different needs. And he has to pull away a little bit. It, but is that all he's up to? I don't think so. I think, uh, I think G- Jesus is doing something here. And Mark wants us to see it, because I've told you before, Mark is always, in, in, at least implicitly, asking the question, hey, who is Jesus? And how should you respond to Jesus? And uh, I think he's showing us who Jesus is in this text as well as we read of him moving into this Gentile territory and this Gentile woman in this Gentile house coming up to him and asking him not just once, but kept asking, meaning over and over, pleading. You can almost hear it there. And for a male Jew, by the way, to be inside of Gentile territory, uh, they would be considered unclean. To go into a Gentile's house, they would be considered unclean. So this keeps happening with Jesus when he encounters uh, a person riddled with leprosy inside of Jewish territory. Um, you're supposed to not ever touch or get near a, a person with leprosy in, in there back in that day because you would become unclean. And instead, Jesus full body hugs people that are riddled with leprosy. And instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the person he hugs 
becomes clean. And that's what just continues to happen as we watch Jesus. He upends, and he's sort of the great reversal artist, isn't he? Well, this woman is pleading with him, kept asking Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. This is a brokenhearted mother, by the way. This is a desperate mother who will do literally anything, including begging, pleading with a Jewish man uh, to help her. Uh, evidently, none of the Syrophoenician uh, methods had worked. Uh, no other avenue of rescue was available to her. And so she comes, she hears about this guy, and certainly, um, you know, stories of a carpenter turned rabbi turned healer would have traveled you know, because we, we already know people have been coming regionally to the Galilee, bringing their sick, bring, bringing their lame and their demon-possessed, and Jesus has been healing them. So they've been traveling from all kinds of different areas, including this area. And so here he comes. He's in a house. Uh, it's a Gentile house. This Gentile woman, Syrophoenician woman, is coming and begging him to help her daughter. What does he do? What does he say? Well, he verse 27 says, he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to use the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now that just, I mean, it, it, it sounds shockingly uh, rough in a way. Um, uh, but interestingly, he doesn't use the normal word for dog here that they would have, uh, that they would have used back in, in Jesus' time. He uses um, a, a word that really would be used to talk about a, a small house pet or a a little puppy, a, 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 a dog that would be sort of uh, a family member in a way in our own day and time. We would think of it that way. I mean, certainly those of us that are dog lovers would think of that. But he's, a, he's still saying uh, it's, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She presses in a little, and I like this about her, and, and Jesus does too, you'll see. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, agreeing with him, but even the dogs are, yeah, even the dogs under the table, and she uses that same word, by the way, for dogs there, um, even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. So she's reasoning with him, pushing back just slightly on what he said, because this is a mother who loves her daughter, and she's going to do everything she can to get help for her daughter. We've said it before. Desperation is like a magnet to the heart of Jesus. Um, uh, the kingdom of heaven draws near to the desperate. And so, so here's what Jesus says. What, you know, what's he going to say, right? He says to her, verse 29, because of this answer, he's very clear. He connects what he's about to say to what she just um, argued, if you will. All right. Because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having departed. Can you imagine her heart exploding with joy and gratitude after she went home? He said this in this other house. She runs to her house and finds her daughter set free. Can you imagine the joy that would have flooded her heart, the gratitude. And I wonder, you know, we're not told, but I wonder, did she try to race back to where he was and say, thank you? We don't know. 
We just know that he did this, and this is, after all, about him ultimately. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the kind of son of, he's the son of God, and he does this kind of stuff. Um, and again, I'll, I'll, we'll make the claim that the Christian gospel is the most inclusive gospel of all. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Well, you got to go one more little pericope, one more little story, because what happens in verse 31 is Jesus went from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon, that's to the south a little, along the coast, and then to the Sea of Galilee. That would be inland a bit and uh, to the east, and then within to the region of Decapolis. Now, we've talked about Decapolis before because Jesus went from Capernaum on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee all the way across the Sea of Galilee along the northern edge over to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, perhaps even uh, to the southeastern part of the Sea of Galilee to where the Decapolis, the Ten Cities region is. These are This is Gentile territory again. So now he moves from Gentile territory in Tyre to the Sea of Galilee. He runs through the Sea of Galilee in his, in his journey and over to the region of the Decapolis, once again in Gentile territory. And they, meaning the Gentiles that lived in the Decapolis region, brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they entreated him to lay his hand upon him. And so here are these friends of this deaf man who can't speak, deaf and cannot speak, mute, Um, Some of the older English words like dumb would be used here, but in our day and time, that would mean, that would sound a little bit different to our ears, so I'll say mute. Um, Man can't hear, man can't speak. All of his friends want to help him. They bring him to Jesus. Let's be those kind of friends with all of our friends that are in need. And if we're in need, and some of our friends want to bring us to Jesus, let's don't go kicking and screaming. (laughs) Let's let's go ready to receive. So, so they bring this man who can't hear, can't speak. They brought him to Jesus, this man who was deaf and he was mute, and entreated him to lay his hand upon him. Why? Because they know he has healing power. Uh, how do they know that? Well, there's been this man who was demon-possessed that we read about in a previous chapter who has been going all through the Decapolis region saying, you won't believe how Jesus healed me from the legion of demons that were inside of me. And the story would have traveled like wildfire. And so all of these folks over there know that. And as a result of that man's evangelism, the formerly demon-possessed man's evangelism, telling everybody, um, when Jesus comes into this region, they all come after him and they want them to help their friend heal him. Please, please, please. He took him aside from the multitude by himself, Jesus did. Verse 33 says, so he, he huddles up with this man by himself. He put his, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. This is just a strange method, isn't it? And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha. That is, Mark, Mark gives us the interpretation of what that word is, be opened. So one word is what he says to this man after the method of this sort of spitting and touching the man's tongue, putting his fingers in the man's ears. And by the way, I got to point out, you know, I don't think I can recall another miracle that Jesus does like this one. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure almost all of the miracles, in terms of method anyway, are unique. That is, he doesn't use the same method every single time. 
So that's fascinating to me. If he's going to smear mud on one guy's eyes, in this particular case, he's healing a deaf man and a man that can't speak. He puts his fingers in his ears. He spits and touches his spit probably to the man's tongue. I'm going to, I'm going to say that's what that reference was to. Uh, it's, a, it's the personal pronoun. So I'm, I'm thinking that's what he did. And then he says, Ephatha, this one word, uh, which just is powerful, be open. So he opens his mouth and he opens his ears. And it says here in verse 35, his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly. No speech therapy class for six weeks, six months. No uh, you know, audio testing of his ears, any of that sort. Nope, nope. The man could hear, the man could speak. He gave them orders, all of these people who are just guffawing right now, not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, <clears throat> he has done all things well. And let me just remind you, uh, here we are 2,000 years later, he still does all things well. He still does all things well. You can trust him. You need look no further. He really is the one. And he... They go on and say, he makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And they didn't probably know this, but they're recalling for Jews anyway. And as that kind of as that kind of message gets around that that, you know, the deaf hear and the mute can speak all of a sudden, as that gets around and travels from village to village, that story of this man being healed by Jesus, this carpenter turned rabbi, turned healer. Um, the Jews who might hear that, they're going to connect the dots to Isaiah 35 when Messiah is predicted to have come and that the blind will see, the lame will walk, the deaf will hear, and the mute will speak. And it's just... It's just the kind of material, that it's just the kind of detail, it's just the kind of specific stuff that helps us answer those two questions Mark keeps asking. Who is Jesus? And how should we respond to Jesus? Who is Jesus? If you look at these miracles, uh, he's the one that came to bring God's salvation to the whole world, not just to one people, not just to one nation. And so the Christian faith, the Christian gospel, the most inclusive of all world religions because it's on offer to everybody. Doesn't mean everybody's going to receive it. Doesn't mean everybody's going to believe it. But it's on offer and it's on offer to you. It's on offer to me. Who is Jesus? He's that kind of savior. How should we respond to Jesus? I think the same way these guys do. Verse 37 says, utterly astonished. And I think we should be utterly astonished, not only at the, the, the massive heart that he has for us, but that he's gentle and lowly, that he does so much of this um, on the way to the cross, fully knowing he's going to have to lay down his life for the sins of the world, for my sin, for that man's sin, for that brokenhearted mother's sin up in Tyre, um, uh, for that sweet daughter of hers who was in such need, didn't even know, probably her humanity pushed so far back, and she needed Jesus. And her mama responded to Jesus that day. I'm, I'm 100% certain of that. And this group, this crowd, utterly astonished. This man who couldn't hear, who couldn't speak, utterly astonished. How about you? 
how about me? Who's Jesus and how should we respond to Jesus? I think these are questions we need to be answering. All right, a couple just to summarize points for you um, from this passage, this entire passage, verse 24 through 37. One, the gospel transcends all kinds of barriers, racial, ethnic, national, religious, um, uh, male, female, um, socioeconomic, education, all that transcends all of those barriers. Here's Jesus outside of Jewish territory. All right, so there's your national, religious, ethnic barrier. He bridges that. He, he goes over that. He's in the house, and there is a, a woman. A, a, see, a Jewish male would not typically speak to a woman, certainly not a Gentile woman. Um, and so he's breaking a lot of those barriers as well. And uh, it's just fascinating uh, the way Jesus uh, broke so many barriers. So the gospel transcends all kinds of barriers. John Stott, in uh, his commentary, actually on the book of Acts, I want to quote from there. I love this. It's about the international community that is the kingdom of heaven. Christ's kingdom, while not incompatible with patriotism, tolerates no narrow nationalisms. He rules over an international community in which race, nation, rank, and sex are no barriers to fellowship. When his kingdom is consummated at the end, when, in other words, when Christ comes back and, and sets all things right, the countless redeemed company will be seen to be drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Folks, that's the meta narrative. That's that's one of the a, a part of the overarching narrative of the entire Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, all the way back in Genesis, I believe it's chapter twelve, where the Lord says to Abram, "It's going to be through your seed, a descendant of yours, that I intend to bless not just one people, but all nations." Nations, every nation on the planet. And then all the way in the book of Revelation, you have what Stott has referenced here. People from every nation, tribe, people, and language will be gathered around the throne worshiping the Lamb of God. So the gospel transcends all kinds of barriers. It is indeed the most inclusive of all world religions. N.T. Wright said, the achievement of Christ knows no barriers of color or class or birth or social status. So N.T. Wright, John Stott, two pretty sharp minds. I'm going to go with those guys on this. I think that's a, a fair conclusion to draw, especially as we see it in a passage like this. Secondly, the gospel not only transcends all those barriers, but it's an offer of grace. It's not a list of rules to follow. It's not something you can purchase. It's not something that you got to balance out the moral scales and earn in some. No, no, the gospel is an offer of, it's, it's a free gift of grace. And uh, quoting Stott again, the gospel is not good advice to men, but good news about Christ. Not an invitation to us to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. Not a demand. It's an offer. And I amen that. Uh, with him as well. Brennan Manning um, said, I'm wonderfully content with a God who does not deal with me as my sins deserve. And I amen that as well, because I'm so glad God doesn't deal with me. And I want you to know that. I want you to believe that today. I know some of us walked the aisle or became believers, became Christians a long, long time ago. But I don't, I, I don't know about you, but I have to continually remind myself of the gospel of grace because uh, I can believe it up here in my head and live out my life as if it's really up to me to do something, and it's not. Jesus Christ has done everything necessary 
for you and I to live in right relationship with God. It's a, it's a gift of grace to the guilty and undeserving. That's me. That's you. That's us. That's these people in the story that we just read from Mark chapter 7. Thirdly, the gospel redeems and transforms us. So not only one does the gospel transcend all of the barriers, not only two is it a gift of grace, but three, it redeems, it transforms us. Um, And in so doing, I mean, it's honest to point this out. The gospel exposes who we have been, sinners that we are, but then it transforms who we are and even puts us on a trajectory to who we will become in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is very clear. You become a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Um, uh, All of the old you uh, goes by the side, and the new you is the you that is united with Christ. Bob uh, Diffenbaugh is a retired pastor from Community Bible Church in Richardson, Texas, now serves full-time with a uh, biblical studies website I highly recommend, bible.org. Bob writes this. He says, when God saves us, he makes the dead alive. He removes our spiritual blindness with sight. Uh, He opens our heart to respond. He gives us a new nature which desires God. Um, If it is not technically correct to say God overrides our will, he most certainly does change our nature and our will. And I agree with that 100%. Who is Jesus this morning, today, this evening, whenever it is you're watching or listening? Who is Jesus to you? He'll go out of his way to find you. He'll cross all kinds of barriers to get to you. He loves you that much. And he came to bring the rescue, the greatest rescue that we all need, that we might live in a right relationship with God. How should you respond to Jesus? Well, I we see it over and over again, don't we? People respond with astonishment and wonder and gratitude. And many, many people that we read about that Jesus heals uh, in the four gospel records, bow down and worship him. We ought to do that as well. These miracles of Jesus display his authority and power. Uh, They arouse curiosity in Jesus, just like it did, you know, people, rumors, mills going all around Galilee, all outside of Israel now. And they confirm his identity as the son of God. You'd think if he was the son of God, he could do these kinds of things, healing people, setting people free from demons, um, healing some people that have been blind since birth or deaf since birth or couldn't speak. Um, uh, They reveal his compassion. And of course, they inspire us to worship him. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this passage. Um, And these people that someday I hope to get to talk to and just uh, have them tell the story one more time. I'd love to hear it. Um, We're grateful, Lord, for your love for us. Uh, We're grateful for your sovereign grace in our lives. I pray for all of my friends, no matter what state here in the U.S. they might be listening from, or watching uh, from, no matter what country, what continent they might be uh, joining us for this study of Mark from. Lord, I pray for all of them, Lord, that your presence would be with them today, that they would know that you have come for them, (laughs) that you have come on the run with rescue in your hands and redemption uh, on offer to them. Uh, Lord, no matter what our physical circumstances 
might be or might even continue to be. Lord, may we turn our hearts toward you. Um, help us to bow before you in worship, to repent from our sins that have so uh, scarred our lives in so many ways and caused such chaos in our relationships. Uh, Lord, help us to see that you really are the answer that we need. Help us to turn to you in faith believing this day. Pray this in your precious name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.